You're listening to an episode of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge, the podcast dedicated to honest conversations with educators about what they do and, more importantly, who they are. I'm your host, John LeMay, and I'm here to highlight the complex and rich lives led by teachers with diverse interests, identities, and stories. Hello there. Thanks for joining me for this week's episode. We're back after a week-long break, and this episode is being released on Thursday morning, which is our new release day. So you'll be receiving new episodes in your feed Thursday morning instead of Wednesday morning. I just wanted to take a second to share some exciting news. Since our last episode came out, the podcast received a very kind write-up in the AV Club, courtesy of Caroline Seed, who had some very kind things to say about episode 13 and my conversation with Randy Lacasse, one of my former teachers from high school. You can find a link to that article in the episode description, and if you haven't heard that episode, be sure to check it out. My thanks to Caroline for her generous words. All right, let's get into this week's conversation, which features my colleague Peter Chase, a German teacher and a residential faculty member here at the Pennington School. Peter and I discuss the role that humor plays in his classroom and the roots of that in Peter's own experiences and behavior as a student. We talk about the misconceptions Peter encounters as it pertains to being a foreign language teacher and how he approaches teaching German in a way that is both accessible and applicable to his students. And Peter also reflects on his experience as a residential faculty member, and he recalls the moment when he realized that living on campus was truly an essential aspect of both his and his family's life. As always, please leave a rating and review if you've been enjoying the podcast, either on iTunes, the Apple Podcast app, or on Stitcher, where you can now listen to all episodes of Welcome to the Teacher's Lounge. Without further ado, here's my conversation with Peter. Enjoy! Hey Peter, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So to have you begin, what I'm going to have you do is go back to the first day of school and revisit your first day as an educator. Um, You can sort of interpret that in terms of your first ever full-time teaching experience um, or maybe even a part-time experience, whatever you identify as your first official day as a teacher. Mm -hmm. It was at the University of Maine where I got my undergrad and then went on to get my master's of arts in teaching as part of uh, being a grad student I had to teach uh, German 101 the first semester a couple of sections German 102 and uh, I walked into a room full of about 25 college students who were only in most cases a couple of years younger than I was and a handful of them were older And I remember being very intimidated because my German was solid, but I had never had to do this before. And I, of course, wondered if I uh, should just turn around maybe and walk out the door (laughs) and rethink my my, uh, career choices. But uh, I do remember uh, pretty much from the beginning having a a good rapport with with my students, and uh, it really took care of itself from there. Do you remember Uh, the point at which you felt like you were comfortable in that environment or you felt like you, you know, really felt certain that you could see yourself doing this for a long time or or conceivably for the the rest of your life? Well, that was pretty much, I guess, the reason why I had chosen to go into teaching or at least getting my 
my teaching credential because I my undergrad was in business administration. Mm. My idea originally was to become a businessman, become uh, successful, and I could tell pretty much after a couple of semesters of that that I was not at all cut out for that kind of uh, work only because my classmates were very driven, always talking about becoming rich, always talking about <laughs> hitting it big, and that really wasn't uh, my thing. I threw myself into German because of my family background. My mother came to the States when she was 23. I grew up with a lot of German, and I figured I should take a course or two since uh, I'm half German. And what I found was it came really, really easy to me because I had heard it so much as a kid, even though I hadn't spoke much. And I quickly became uh, that kid who classmates would ask uh, for help with, uh, you know, on grammar things or vocab. And uh, I realized early on that I really liked helping them. And I became a a, a tutor in the department as a part-time job. And uh, quite often, kids I helped said, man, you're going into teaching, right? And I was still an undergrad. I said, no, I'm going into business, actually. <laughs> and they said, yeah, you know, I don't know if that's uh, where it's at for you because <laughs> this comes too easily. So, uh, so I guess I'd made that decision before that first day of teaching that, yeah, I really did enjoy teaching the language, helping others with German. So uh, I guess I was I was happy that uh, those initial nerves, you know, were uh, quick to uh, overcome in the yeah. early days. Yeah, that makes sense. Do, reflecting on like your first year of teaching or your first like two years of teaching, I, I think there's kind of like this idea or this cliche that like your first few years of teaching are going to be like terrible and hard like no matter what, no matter how prepared you might feel for it. Did you did you feel that way with, with your first few years or at least your first year? Or did you feel like you were pretty well prepared for it? Or were there any moments where you felt like you were really, you know, floundering, I guess? Yeah, uh, it's a, a great question with uh, with different answers. With that f- first, with that one and only year at UMaine, I was pretty comfortable because I knew the stuff. Uh, that, uh, and I had great mentor professors who helped me to, uh, you know, see through, um, the units. And I, I really, uh, had a very easy time of it. However, when I became then a teacher later on, uh, after, especially after I, I got married, I found myself not teaching German. I was, uh, teaching at international schools with my wife having been the one who, was being hired and I was being hired as the as the appendage and then <laughs> that meant I got to teach whatever they needed and that means uh, uh, English as a second language, world history, U.S. history, intro to economics. I then had to teach AP economics. So uh, believe me when I tell you there were many years where I would, you know, they would hand me a new book for the coming year and say, you're our new AP econ teacher next <laughs> year have fun this summer, or you're going to be teaching U.S. history next year. Here's the book. Uh, there were many a day where I was simply one day ahead of the kids uh, as far as the content of the class goes. And, uh, yeah, those those beginning years had a, came with a lot of, uh, lot of nerves, yeah. I would say. Or I can imagine. I mean, I feel that even as someone who I've only ever really taught English – but whenever I get a new course or a new book, yeah, sure. I, I 
also feel that sense of like, I just need to be like one day ahead of my students. So I can't even imagine that with like, you know, being handed an entirely new subject on any given year um, that may or may not be connected to what you've actually been teaching previously. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you know, I would sit with history teachers uh, early, in my early years and listen to them talk about, you know, points in history. I couldn't, I couldn't connect because, uh, you know, I was just staying afloat. Yeah. And uh, I joke today, although it was, it's not totally made up when I say there were perhaps some things I even made up along the way just to <laughs> right. fill in some holes. Uh, so uh, who knows <laughs> well, what like, some of I guess that's where, are. like, that's where we take some comfort in remembering that our students aren't always paying attention or they're not going to remember, <laughs> you know, the vast majority of what we say in the classroom. So right. in that aspect, it's probably, it might be a good thing for some of those history classes. <laughs> right. Um, right. So you've kind of, in a sense, you've, uh, you've sort of tapped into this answer um, a little bit already, but I am curious in knowing a little bit more about like the moment when you really um, decided that you wanted to be in in education or, or you know, you, you've mentioned that in college you were doing a lot of like tutoring and, and that felt comfortable in a lot of ways. But I'm curious if there's even something before then or, or after then when you feel like the definitive moment when you decided that this is this is what I want to do and this is the lifestyle that I want to um, really commit to. Right. Well, I... Going back to the money thing, that was the only thing, I guess, that was holding me back early on because uh, when I was in high school, even, I remember helping kids out with, uh, with other classes, uh, chemistry, physics, you know, a buddy of ours, you know, always needed help. And I, I remember thinking, yeah, this is really uh, enjoyable. I I saw the lifestyle that my teachers had with, you know, a lot of time off in the summer and um, <laughs> they didn't seem terribly stressed out, although they were probably hiding it well. Right. Uh, um, but I do remember at one point helping a friend of mine on her chemistry midterm because she wasn't doing well. We worked together one afternoon for about three hours. The next day we took the exam she ended up with an 88 and I ended up with a 76. <laughs> and I went to my chemistry teacher and said, how could this be possible? And he said, well, maybe you're a better teacher than you are a student. <laughs> and I remember thinking that that was absolutely ridiculous. But uh, I do remember uh, seriously thinking about teaching. But the thing that turned me off was that whole money thing. Then there was, of course, the tutoring in college, and then I got into the the German uh, so much so that I wanted to then get my master's of arts in teaching it. That then sent me to uh, Austria, where I did a study abroad through UMaine uh, for the first year of my master's degree, and that also uh, included a lot of uh, unofficial tutoring of the underclassmen in our group. We were about 42 students. There were a couple of us grad students, and one of the things that was expected of us is that we would help our undergrad uh, you know, study abroad mates when they had papers and, and you know assessments that we would uh, help proofread and help um, you know help them study essentially. And and again, all of that I really enjoyed. I enjoyed being helpful, being seen as somebody who could help, and yeah, I think that that for me was. Uh, enough for me to say, yeah, I'm. I might not uh, 
you know, get rich someday, or I might. Who knows? Uh, depends on how smart you are with your money, I suppose. But, you know, I did know that that's really what I wanted to do. Yeah. Um, so I'd love to go back a little bit further and talk a little bit about what you were like as a student. We can start anywhere that makes sense um, to you in terms of, of thinking about your trajectory and, and, and arc as a student and as a learner. We go back to elementary school, middle school, high school, but I'm curious about what you were like as a student and maybe how that is, how that's impacted you in your style and um, your philosophy as an educator. Well, I have a really good memory, so I'm going to try not to bore you with uh, <laughs> everything from kindergarten on, but uh, I did... Uh, I did always like school. I, I loved it. I'm an only child, so for me, that was my social place, you know. That's where I saw my friends. I was actually one of those weird kids who, when summer rolled around, I was happy. Sure, school was over, mm -hmm. but, you know, I wasn't going to see my friends every day. So right. um, I, I liked uh, school because of that, but I also liked doing well, and I liked pleasing my teachers. My dad would always... Uh, goof on me that I was a brown noser. I would <laughs> I was that kid who would stay after school, clean erasers, uh, because I I know I had to make up for uh, a little bit because I was also loud and <laughs> obnoxious. So my teachers often had to bring rein me back in. And um, but I I did uh, do very well to the point where in second grade my second grade teacher wanted me to skip a grade and uh thankfully my parents said no um because i whereas i i was doing well i was by no means you know a, a genius I, right I just, like quite at that level yeah i i i was good at math i liked numbers you know i read okay but you know i wasn't uh i shouldn't have i shouldn't have skipped a grade um then comes uh you know middle school high school i i I plugged along fine. I I did well, uh, but uh, strangely, my uh, guidance counselor in high school, when I was in eighth grade, uh, you know, should have been putting me on what we called the college prep track. And I had such a bad attitude about a couple of classes. I told him I don't want to take French, and that was the only foreign language that we offered. And I didn't want to take biology. I don't know what I had against biology, but I just flat out said, I'm not doing that next year. Hmm. And what he sh should have done was said, well, too bad. You're, 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 you're in the college track. You know, you should be preparing yourself and, and getting those class classes behind you. But I didn't. So then I signed up for what we called business, business ed classes. And I realized the first day of school when I looked around and saw that none of my close friends were in my classes. Uh, that I had really screwed up, and I kind of blame him because I was in eighth grade. I I didn't know any better, and somebody had to be the adult. And my parents, who you know didn't go to tra traditional school uh, college, uh, they didn't know either. So they just right. signed the papers and uh, let me turn it back in. Um, that wasn't really their fault either. So that was a little silly. Sophomore year, I got back on track. I I was already in the the math I should have been, but then I started taking the chemistry. But I didn't do French. I, I graduated from <laughs> high school with no foreign language, which was wow. kind of ironic because yeah. <laughs> I'm a foreign language teacher today. So high school went well, and college also was uh, challenging, but um, I found doable. And uh, aside from a couple of business classes that I, I didn't enjoy very much, I, I did 
did fine in college. Yeah. Now, did did you did you feel like supported by your your teachers, or did you feel like you had good relationships with your with your teachers? I had very good relationships with uh, with my teachers. My my chemistry teacher, uh, whom I had for a couple of years, also my he was also our physics teacher. It was a small school, so you had to wear a lot of mm-hmm. hats there. Uh, he was he was great. He was uh, passionate about his subject, and I actually uh, refer back to him uh, quite a few times over the years when people have asked me, you know, what what, what one person maybe in high school uh, really made a difference, and he did because he he loved his subjects. He loved chemistry, loved physics, but again, ironically, I never took a chemistry or a physics course in college. Mm-hmm. But I do remember sitting there uh, more than one occasion saying, "Man." He's lucky. He's found something that he really likes, and he's he's into it. I have no idea why. I don't know why you could be so excited about chemistry, hmm. but he is. And I, I remember being envious and thinking, "Wow, I, I wonder if I'm going to find something, you know, that I'm going to latch on yeah. to." And, and you know, as it was, I did. And uh, and yeah, that so he made a difference for sure. Right. I'm curious about what you said about you being like seen as like a loud or like obnoxious kid in in class and like the fact that like you in a sense like recognize that and kind of wanted to like make make up for it. Is that is that kind of what I'm gathering from? Yeah. So for sure. I wonder if that has any sort of bearing on like the types of students that you have in class and the way that you sort of interact with those students who might be a little more like loud or a little more like quote unquote obnoxious or or disruptive like do you ever have those students where you you can kind of like empathize with them and you like see yourself in them so you might be a little more likely to connect with them than other teachers who might just kind of brush them off as like being you know a problem in class to some degree well first of all I'm I'm lucky uh enough to say that I I over the years have really not had uh those kind of students uh very often once in a while yes um, but, uh, I do think when that does happen and of course being on campus, you know, you have a lot of interaction with kids, not just in the classroom. So when I have had students, uh, misbehave, I think to myself sometimes, yep, yeah, I'm, uh, <laughs> karma's come, karma is coming <laughs> back. Uh, this is exactly what my teachers uh, used to get frustrated about. So it does give me, you know, the ability to step back and understand. It doesn't make it any easier sure. uh, sometimes, but uh, but sure, I do think of that because I, I know my, my acting out uh, most likely had to do with the fact that my parents were uh, not having uh, uh, the best of relationships. They divorced when I was nine, so there was, you know, some yelling in the home, and I'm sure that that was, that had to come out somehow mm-hmm. with me. So I think that that was part of it. So it has made me think, okay, it's probably uh, not me. It's probably not my class or the school rule that I'm talking to this kid about right now that they're really uh, struggling with. Who knows what's going on outside of yeah. the situation. So, uh, and, and that's taken some years. That wasn't an automatic connection. Certainly in my early years, I did a lot of... Uh, hollering myself, you know, when kids were acting up. But you know, over the years, I have, I've, I have reminded myself, there's more to life than just this one class right now. There's, there could be a lot of other things happening. Yeah, of course. Going back to to you, you as a high schooler, and thinking about you as, as as a student, are are there any encounters or incidents that you think that you can think of that sort of like 
um, or emblematic of like your like those moments when you would like be even as as you said like loud or or obnoxious I know you said that you have a, a really good memory so I'm curious if there's anything yeah. <laughs> in particular that stands well, out yes well I I I loved uh, to make kids laugh I mean it was all about uh, being a jokester being a clown uh, getting kids to um, you know to uh, to laugh and uh, you know Part of it was that I would be done with my work quickly. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, back in those days, it was very much here's a handout, work on the handout when you were done, be quiet. Well, I would whip through these things pretty quickly, <laughs> and, and, and before you knew it, I was making faces. I was, um, you know, just trying to get, get somebody giggling about something. So that was uh, certainly part of my, my issue, I think. Uh, um, you know, being off task uh, myself and trying to bring others into that. Um, I was just telling some kids the other day, back in the 70s when I was in elementary school too, there, it was a little bit weird. We would often be alone in the class. I remember that very, very clearly, <laughs> that our teachers would give us something to do and then disappear. <laughs> and if you look next door, the same thing was happening there. And I found out one day, why that was, at least in my school, when uh, a student in my class threw a ball and broke a, a glass vase, and I ran down the hall to get help, walked into the teacher's room, and it was just like one of those, uh, I don't know, yucca bars where <laughs> you can hardly hardly see across the room. I mean, every teacher was in there smoking it right. <laughs> cigarettes. Cigarettes, I'm pretty sure it was just... Uh, sure. But... You know that was the thing. You know, keep you busy, and then and then Disappear. and then sit down and smoke. Um, so yeah, uh, so th- that was one reason I think why there was it was so easy to uh, to act right. up. It was a different time. Uh, yeah, it was a different time. Um, so I'd love to hear a little bit from you about how you think we as as educators or we as like an education system. Um, how we fail our students or what it looks like when we fail our students, either on a macro sense, thinking about the education system as a whole, or uh, us as individual teachers in in individual classrooms. Well, I think that um, when we lose sight of what it is truly that we want these kids to be able to do when they leave us and maybe take uh, our subject matter too seriously, I think we can get into trouble a bit. Uh, by that I mean this. I, I always tell my kids, I hope that they are able to speak some German when they leave. I hope that they go to college and take a couple of German courses. And, and I've, again, been lucky enough to have some kids who have done that, gone on and, and you know, become proficient. But uh, more times than not, they're, they're not going to do that. And my hope is, is that they have, though, learned a little bit about uh, how they learn best and how they can approach a new learning situation in an organized way, uh, in a way where they'll be able to walk away and uh, and and be even stronger as a learner uh, than they were when they first walked into that class. So I, I think that um, early on I did take my subject too seriously and you know, had a hard time believing or wanting to believe that in many kids' minds, a foreign language 
becomes a, a back burner class when you've got that algebra two test, when you've got the chemistry honors test coming up right. that, that uh, it, it, it does take a back seat. And I think that I wasn't, uh, wasn't happy to, to, to accept that. So, um, you know, it was more about get, getting the work done and, um, not about uh, trying to be, I guess, as reasonable as I as I could have been. So I think that uh, if we can all agree that what the kids need are skills, and they need skills in order to acquire more skills on their own, then we're doing we're doing fine. Um, and if we are using our expertise and our our subject that we really enjoy to do that, then great. Yeah, um, but. If, if we're just trying to get through a, uh, a bunch of material and facts and figures for the sake of them to just pour it back onto paper and then forget it when they walk out the door, then we're not serving yeah. them. And that's, I guess, where we have to uh, give some more thought. Yeah. In, in thinking about your, your subject matter, I'm, I'm curious about like what sort of um, misconceptions you feel like you deal with or assumptions you deal with when it comes mm. to like your status as a foreign language teacher. Because uh, reflecting back on my experience with foreign languages, I'm just not very good at them. I, I always tell people that I traded in like my my level of proficiency in the English language for, you know, <laughs> a lack of proficiency in any other type of language. So I, I've always just struggled right. with them. Um so they kind of like have like a negative connotation for for me, and I wonder if you feel like you deal with that like with with other people as well. Like when you say you know I'm a German teacher, or I you know I teach foreign language. Do you do is there a certain response that you usually get from people, and how do you sort of like combat that that stereotype or that assumption? Yeah, uh, a couple of things. What one you're 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 not alone. <laughs> uh, a lot of people feel like that. I I uh, hesitate to put all Americans into one big group, but <laughs> right. I, I, it is something that we hear a lot. I hear it a lot from parents of my students who tell me, you know, very similarly that, um, you know, uh, they took seven years of French and can't speak a word. You know, that's that's a very typical memory for many, many Americans. And um, it, it comes down to uh, a couple of things, you know, it's our, I think our overall attitude towards uh, learning another language, but also uh, to when we start. And, um, you know, it, it's not new research at all. It's something that people have known for uh, probably thousands of years that uh, little kids learn languages pretty quickly. Mm -hmm. And the younger you start, the better off you are. And And that's obviously, I think, the reason why we're not as successful as, uh, let's say, European countries are. Um, although we do have many, many an elementary school that, quote unquote, offers a language. Uh, I have two sons who are uh, living proof that that doesn't that doesn't even matter mm -hmm. if if it's being taught in such a way that it can't be used for communication. Then they too would become people who've had let's say Spanish for seven years and can't speak. Right. Uh, uh, so I'm, I'm perhaps not answering your question. No, no, you directly. absolutely are. Well, and, and in, in thinking uh, about that, you mentioned that there you've experienced or you've seen ways in which languages are taught that don't actually like bear out any sort of like, right. you know, progress or fruit or anything like that. So 
what 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 are those ways that you're witnessing and how do you as a foreign language teacher um, like how, how do you try to you know overcome those those obstacles and those hurdles well the the easiest way to teach uh, a foreign language that also uh, bears very little fruit is to assign lists of vocab <laughs> and teach uh, grammar. Right. Uh, it's extremely easy for me to walk into a room. I could whip off a grammar lesson about most any grammar point there is in German without spending a moment to think about it because it's just upstairs, it's there, it's easy. But, uh, you know, the question is, can the kids then use it uh, in a real-life situation? Is it just something that is going to prepare them to spit a couple of sentences onto a piece of paper and then they'll forget it? Uh, same thing with vocabulary. You know, 20 random words, even if they're interrelated, like, uh, a- you know, animals at the zoo, it could be. Well, you might be able to recite 20 zoo animals, but you can't say, I fed the animals or I took pictures of the elephants. Mm -hmm. If all you can do is say elephant, giraffe, rhino, (laughs) uh, there are no real life instances where we walk down the street and just say rhino by itself. It's, oh, I went to the zoo last week. And I saw my first rhino. Right. I mean, that's a Unless real you're thought. witnessing a, a stampede. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and you're yelling it very loud. Right, loudly. one by yes. one. <laughs> you're mentioning the animals. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So um, that's what I see with the elementary, at the elementary school level. I see what my kids bring home for worksheets, and I say, oh, we're learning colors for the fourth year in a row. Great. <laughs> right. uh, you know, it's like, seriously? Uh we got to move on. we got to move yeah. on. And I remember very clearly that really being driven home back in 2005. I went to Germany. I, if I go, it's usually during spring break or in the summer. But this time I went in October. My, uh, it was during uh, or Thanksgiving, I guess it was. My grandmother was dying. My mother couldn't travel. She had just had an operation. So over I go during Thanksgiving. And while I was there, I visited our uh, exchange high school that we have in Regensburg, and I sat in on a fifth grade uh, English class. Uh, Their school system is different, of course. Uh, Their college prep school goes from uh, grade five to grade 12. So this was beginning year kids who had never really had uh, English, and this was November, so they'd only been in school September, October, November. And there they were, uh, performing skits, restaurant uh, scenes, where one person is the wait person, then you've got your your people sitting at the table, and you know they were they were tripping over their language, they were making mistakes, but it really hit me. It's like wow, these kids are using the language. They're not just memorizing twenty meals that they could order uh, in a restaurant, but they are saying. What would you like today? I would like the steak, you know, and uh, having a great time with it. And I said, okay, not only do they start early and get serious about it early, but they're having fun with it. Yeah. That was two two months of English, and they were able to do that. So that that was a monumental day, I would say, in my mind. Yeah. Um, and, and, yeah, I, th- I think about it. I talk about it often. That makes me think about something else in terms of like what it means to probably create an effective foreign language classroom, but also just an effective classroom in general. 
when I talk to other people about this idea of how, how we feel our students, both on the podcast and, and off, off the podcast, something that comes up a lot is this idea that our students don't feel safe in our classrooms as much as they should. Not that we make them feel unsafe, although that, that can happen, I'm sure, sure, but just that we don't do the work of like making sure that they feel safe. And I'm sure that must come up a lot in, in foreign language classrooms because there is something very, I don't know, vulnerable about trying to speak a, for, a foreign language and trying to, you know, string together a sentence, like when it comes to like trying to, you know, effectively pronounce things or, or read stuff out loud or, or, you know, the accent work. Like I, I definitely remember that being the cause of a lot of anxiety, both when I took Spanish in high school and when I took a semester of German in, in college. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm, I'm wondering if you encounter any of that in, in your classroom and sort of what you do in order to create an environment in which students can feel that they can, you know, attempt uh, and, and try and, and fail in, in a safe way. Right, absolutely. I, I, I think that uh, for some students who are not uh, big fans of making mistakes, a foreign language can be really, really daunting. And I have those, I have those students every year, certainly not um, the majority. But uh, what, what our message has been at, at our school here in all the languages is that the classroom is the place, the place to make the mistakes, that uh, it is about communication. It is not about ensuring that every ending is correct, that the genders of your nouns are matching up necessarily. Now, we say when you write and you have more time to think through it and you have a book in front of you and you can go back a couple pages and see, well, how do I conjugate this verb? That's a different story. But when we're speaking in class, it's about communication. And uh, with very little correction, although I still have to bite my tongue sometimes and, and, and I catch myself uh, correcting in a student in the middle of a student's sentence, which you know is about the most horrible thing you can do. Right, um, right. Uh, I I really try to just sit back and uh, and and let the kids go. And uh, I think that you know over time they see okay, did that student just understand that I was asking him or her where the hospital was? If the person gave him or her directions then that's the most important thing. They're right. going to get help if they're bleeding and they need a hospital. Right. If they got the gender of hospital wrong, nobody's going to stop them and say, I'm sorry, I can't help you. You, you just <laughs> right. called it a, a feminine word. It's a neuter word in German. I'm sorry, but, uh, right. you know, go somewhere else. Uh, you know, I try, I, and I use, you know, that kind of humor to let them know it's not about the uh, accuracy. It's about the communication. So yeah. um, that... I think helps, but again, still there there are students who, you know, take a lot of convincing that it's okay to uh, to do that. Yeah, I'd love to hear a little bit about something that you have learned to repeatedly tell yourself about about teaching or about education, like something that you have just found yourself really considering as you look back on your experiences as as an educator. Um, something that you constantly remind yourself, or you can also think of it as as some sort of like large piece of advice that you would give a new teacher, or or really any any sort of teacher. Um, something that you just are particularly mindful of. I realize it's a very vast yeah. vast question, but I'm curious about what what comes to mind for you. 
Well, you said earlier, you had mentioned earlier about, you know, the first couple of years being tough ones. And I, I, I sort of said, yeah, for me, because I kept switching topics, uh, uh, you know, uh, courses, I kept having a lot of first-year teaching experiences in, in my first right. 10 or 12 years. But when we do get new uh, world language teachers and uh, who are, you know, not fresh out of college necessarily, but maybe they've done a couple of other things for a couple of years and then they've uh, come to us, I, I do say that the first couple of years, especially the first one, is tough because you're just trying to get your your materials down, your 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 homework assignments down, and that that second year, uh, with those quizzes that you've already made up and the and the, you know the the lesson plans that you've thought through are on paper, hopefully somewhere, that that second year can really be a time where you say, wow, I can, I can actually take a breather right here because I know what I'm doing tomorrow. I did this last right. year, and and um, if. Uh, if they've taken some notes, they know what worked, what didn't work. Um, so I guess advice-wise, younger teachers, I have I have said that a lot. That uh, you know, put the time in in the first year. You'll you'll see a you'll see a, an improvement in the second year, and then and then the third year. It gets. I found that that does get easier. Sure, you might have to teach a new course, but again, you've got now you've got the skills down. Hopefully, that yeah. uh, that will help you to tackle that new class. Right. One, and you just know that you can like that you can do it. Right. You know that you've already lived through a, a year, um, and just like having that sort of confidence in your ability to do that. Because looking back on even just one year of, of teaching and one year of even like a semester, like looking, I, I find myself looking back at it and just being amazed at like what I had done. Like that, I came sure. in every single day and I essentially made something happen out of nothing. <laughs> Right. Which is like a crazy thing that we that we have to do. Right. Is there anything that that you have recently stumbled into in terms of maybe like a realization or or something that has really started to make sense to you that that hadn't before or any sort of large takeaway that you've had about about teaching or something that you're currently reminding yourself? Hmm. No, I think that, um, you know, over over time. We get a feel for what works, what doesn't. I, I look at a lot of units that I had tackled in years past, and I wonder, should I get that back out? And I, I take a look at it, at some of this stuff, and I think to myself, wow, that was a really crappy unit. And, and uh, that, I guess, has been a realization that my earlier self uh, – because I'd like to think if you have a little bit of confidence, you you feel like, you know, most of what you're doing is is pretty good. You 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 hope that you're making a difference. You hope you're doing a good job. But certainly, being able to look at some things that I have done earlier on, uh, I think to myself now, wow, that was uh, that was really not that good and there's a reason why <laughs> that unit is in a binder at the bottom of, of my cabinet right now you yeah know? uh so i guess you know if you are uh if you're trying to learn if you're trying to always get better and not just resting on your laurels you know as we say that that you know you're as long as you're making an effort to improve then you you probably are doing better and we sometimes like with language learning can be our worst uh 
our worst judges. Yeah. You know, certainly if you're learning a language and you've done a study abroad, uh, I've had this uh, experience myself. You come back saying, well, what did I even learn? I, I don't think I'm any better than I was. But then you watch a movie that you had seen before that you 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 hardly understood any anything of because they were speaking so quickly. And now you're saying, wow, did they slow down the soundtrack on that? Because I understand every <laughs> word. You know, we're, yeah. we're, we're bad judges sometimes of our own uh, achievement or our own ability, but being able to look at older stuff and say, okay, that was okay, but that was terrible, uh, yeah. means that I must I must be in a better place now than I was. Yeah, I love that you've connected it to this idea of failing in the classroom and failing in like the, the way that we encourage our students to fail in the classroom and the way that you encourage your students to perceive failure in, in, in their German classes. Because I think for teachers, in a lot of ways, we are pretty used to feeling like confident in at least our subject matter right Right. like we decided to become teachers because we feel confident enough in our subject matter that we can communicate it to other people Mm -hmm. and you know we have our own organizational methods that work for us and have allowed us to get this far Um, so that feeling of failure can be difficult to to grapple with and and it can be easy to sort of use those moments of, of failure both large and small to like question like whether or not we're doing the right thing or whether we're in the right place or, or whatever. So I, I'm struck by just like the way that that kind of carries over into a way that you try and encourage your students to, to see those small or large moments of, of failure. Right, right. So you, um, like a couple other guests that we've had on the podcast, um, are residential faculty. Right. And you, you have been residential faculty for, for quite a while. Yes. Um, and I, I would love to hear a little bit about like what your experience has been like literally living where, where you work and, right. and raising a family here at Pennington and talking about the, the community aspect of it. Like what, what is the appeal to you? And also like what are, what are some of the difficulties that can come with with this very specific lifestyle, I I like to point out that I um, I paid my last rent check in August of 1992. That was the <laughs> last time that I uh, paid for housing other than going on vacation. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so, for several of the beginning years, I was I was single, and I think that. Because of that, I, I liked the fact that I did have that sort of instant community at uh, a boarding school with, uh, you know, people my own age, similar interests. It was, I think, uh, easier to make some connections earlier on because you had people that you were eating meals with every every day, uh, sometimes breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And, uh, and with similar interests, you ended up doing uh, things outside of uh, school. So that was nice. Yeah. Um, and similarly, when uh, my wife and I met, and again, we met at a boarding school, we uh, got married and moved to England and worked at a boarding school there for three years. And uh, again, that was for two people starting out, newly married, uh, not a whole lot of money in the bank. You know, we had our, our meals, our the roof over our head, and again, sort of ready-made uh, social club of similarly aged people. Uh, and uh, similar interests. So that worked out nicely. Um, after uh, uh, another a stop at another school, we ended up here at, uh, at the Pennington School. Uh, we hadn't had children yet. Again, it was nice to transition into a place and uh, meet people quickly. But then uh, our, 
children started coming along, the first one in 2005. And we had already noticed at, uh, that, at this school and at uh, our previous boarding schools that the kids probably had it the best, mm-hmm. uh, that they had uh, their buddies, their faculty, uh, uh, faculty uh, friends, that uh, they got used to eating their meals with, playing with, and uh, just really always having nearby. Um, so we knew that that was special, and it has continued to be special for them. They've grown up now with kids uh, that they've known ever since they were all in diapers, and mm-hmm. you know those bonds have really been uh, have have become quite strong. We really realized how good we had it. Uh, as we often do when we don't have it. Uh, <laughs> and that was in 2008 when my wife and I decided to take a sabbatical and we went back to Salzburg where we had originally met and I led uh, the same study abroad program that I had taken part in in the early 90s. So off we go with my three-year-old. We didn't have our younger son yet. Uh, and we were to look after about a dozen college juniors. But we lived in, a, in an apartment and they lived in student housing. So we didn't live together, so we didn't have that community really, and we certainly didn't have any other faculty members near us, no faculty kids anymore, that was gone. And my son, who had already gone on a couple of school trips with us for about a, a week at a time uh, with with students, German students, we've gone, we'd gone to Germany, I guess three times with him previously. He loved those trips, the kids were great with him, uh, but it was always time to come home after seven days. And literally seven days into our year sabbatical, we're sitting there eating dinner one night, and he said, he was about three and a half, he said, uh, when are we going back to the old place, meaning <laughs> our school in New Jersey? And I said, honey, we aren't going back to the old place for a long time. Of course, three and a half, he doesn't understand what a year is, but right. we said, this, no, we're not going... And he had a meltdown. I mean, he was brokenhearted. You know, he had his favorites who were his same age, but also there were five and six and seven-year-olds. To to him, they were gods, you know. Mm -hmm. They played with him. They were, you know, great with him. We didn't have that anymore. And, oh, my goodness, he was was beside himself. Uh, Luckily, he started going to what they call kindergarten. It's ages three through six. Uh, not just one year, but it's like a three-year thing. Uh, and then he made his he made some buddies, and you know, he settled in. But wow, initially we were like, yeah, did we do the right thing? Right, we, right, right. We just ripped him out of his nice, safe private school uh, boarding school. You know, faculty brat. Uh, <laughs> you know, daily play dates to being just with mama and papa, and that was that got bored boring pretty quickly for him. Sure. <laughs> So that was kind of a moment where, like, it it was made very clear just how special that that is. Yes, absolutely. Not just to you, but also to your son, oh, obviously. For sure, for sure. But yeah, over the years, it's just been a great thing, for the most part. Obviously, there are those days, and I I actually call them uh, boarding school days, like those days when you've taught all day, then you mm-hmm. coach all afternoon, you run home to take a f- three minute shower so you can put your formal clothes back on so that you can be at formal dinner right. for an hour uh, dressed in your jacket and tie 
then run off and do study hall for a couple of hours. I mean, yeah. luckily we are very fortunate to have our duties spread out so nicely that we that those quote unquote boarding school days don't come around nearly yeah, as often. They're as, few and far between as as they do at other boarding schools where we've taught at and schools that we're in touch with. Uh, we 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 do things very humanely here, thankfully. But yeah. but those but but all the planets come into a line sometimes like that on. You know, handful of days a year where you're like, when eleven o'clock rolls around, you're basically just yeah. flopping down in bed and ready right. to do it again the next day. Um, but for the most part, I have to say, you know, it's it, it's just been great to be able to to have those people, uh, you know, close by and, and yeah, um, yeah. Well, it's it's a it's a very special thing that that I'm sure when you might talk to other people who have never taught at a boarding school or who just have never have never taught and are unfamiliar with like the boarding school structure i'm sure it probably sounds absolutely crazy to them in some aspects sure sure Uh, i'm sure they probably will sometimes ask you like how how can you do that like how can you you know like i i couldn't see myself like living where i work Um, like how how can you like do that without going absolutely crazy but it's the kind of thing that when you're you know when you're there you you really see how how special and unique it is absolutely and and there are there are colleagues who uh, we've had over the years here and at other schools, wonderful teachers, perhaps, but it, this isn't their shtick. They need to go home at the end mm-hmm. of the day, and that home has to be off campus somewhere. And I yeah. and I, I understand that. It, it is yeah. not made for And we've had some who had lived off campus, thought that they would try it, did it for a year or two, and said, you know what, it, it isn't me. And and, yeah. and I, I totally respect that because— Yeah, uh, Absolutely. It, it's it's got to be something that you can uh, wrap around. And we we had a, a teacher here for many years. He he's since retired. Who used to who used to say he lived on campus his whole career here. He said, you know, it's living above the store, and yeah. uh, you know, yeah. or living above the restaurant. And sometimes yeah. the the smells from the kitchen are great that waft up into your your bedroom, and other times they're <laughs> they're not. And uh, yeah. you know. Uh, he he was right, you know. But for the most part, they're good aromas. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's awesome. I've I've never heard that <laughs> that phrase before, but it really it perfectly embodies um, that experience for sure. All right, um, as as we move into the final stages here, I have uh, I have a challenge for you if you are feeling up for a challenge. All right. So what I'm going to have you do is capture your your essence as an educator. To the best of your ability, or or pitch yourself as an educator, um, to the best of your ability in thirty seconds. All right. Thirty seconds. All right. So I have um, a timer here. I'm going to throw thirty seconds on the clock. You will be able to to see it. I will let you know when you have ten seconds left. Um, and yeah, just whatever whatever comes to mind. There's no there's no right answer. There's no wrong answer. It's just uh, just an answer. Okay. Uh, do you have any questions about about this or what this looks like? Nope. And okay. I, and I have no idea what I'm going to say, so that's good. Okay. All good. Right. That's 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 the way we that's the way we prefer it. Okay. Awesome. All right. Well, I have 30 seconds on the clock, and I'm going to count you in. In three, two, one, go. In the classroom, we've got to have fun. We have to use humor to uh, when we teach so that uh, the kids can walk away uh, having a nice positive feeling about what we're doing in class. We have to offer structure. We have to... 10 seconds. We have to teach uh, 
the kids how to organize themselves so that they can leave us and be uh, better learners on their own. Awesome. Wow. Great. That was that was rough. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't sound rough to me okay. for, for what it's worth. Oh, that's it. Um, great. What I'm going to have you do um, is do that again, uh, but this time I'm going to have you capture your essence as an educator to the best of your ability in 10 seconds. <laughs> so just 10 seconds. Okay. So I have 10 seconds on the clock, and I'm going to count you in in three, two, one, go. Communication, communication, communication. Leave my class and be able to communicate better and have some nice memories of some fun times in class. Perfect. Great. Now what I would love to have you do is capture your essence as an educator to the best of your abilities using just one single word. <laughs> and you know what? I'll even say that the word can be in, in English or because I know that, that German is notorious for having like those long <laughs> those words. really, yeah, those really long, really specific words. So you can right. even, you can even use a, a, a German word if the, you're feeling so, so inclined. The, the Volkswagen uh, yeah. <laughs> word from the eighties or nineties, Fahrvergnügen. Okay. Um, humor that's it yeah that's awesome can you can you can you say a little bit about that actually i'm, I'm curious well um i guess it is forever the little kid who in elementary school had to had to make the other kids laugh i think that that has always been something that i have enjoyed doing and uh you know, I, I think you have to have some balance with that. It's not, you know, the Mr. Chase comedy hour when the kids <laughs> come into the room. And I will certainly say that there are many a day when kids have not even cracked a smile in 55 minutes. But yeah. uh, I do feel that uh, it's important for the kids to see that I don't take myself too seriously. Um, I do use... Uh, self-deprecation mm -hmm. to loosen up loosen the kids up a little bit and uh, you know uh, does that help them learn their German verbs better I I have no I have no empirical data I, I can't tell you right now but I do know what you know kids say when they come back at homecoming or alumni day and we get together they do remember us having a good laugh here and there. Yeah. And you know what? That's uh, that's great. And obviously, again, there's got to be a balance. They got to get the work sure. done. They got to study for the tests. They got to produce. And that happens, to, you know, to different degrees, but it happens. Uh, so yeah. uh, humor is a part of me, and it has been a part of class. Uh, yeah. So No, that's that's great. Yeah. And, that, and that's actually, that's a... That's a great note to end on because, uh, you know, I, I really appreciate you taking the time to, to talk with me. And I, I knew that you'd be a great person to have on on the podcast because um, the, I don't know if I've mentioned this to you uh, at all. But in my class, I will oftentimes have my students start off the day by like doing a little bit of, of journaling. Mm -hmm. um, and one of the questions I oftentimes ask is who is your like the be essentially write about the best teacher that you've ever had and why they're your favorite teacher mm. and you have come up quite a bit oh. um, in those yeah in those discussions um, and oftentimes what they cite is is your sense of humor uh -huh. and how 
you know, how fun your class is and how, how easy you make it to, to be there and, and learn. Okay. So that is something that, that reads to other people as well, which it's always nice well, when you have nice. like your self-perception yeah, <laughs> and it also like is something that comes, that comes along. All so, right. well, thanks for sharing that. I yeah. wasn't aware. Yeah. Well, again, thank you so much for, for talking with me, Peter. Um, I really appreciate it. Thanks, I appreciate John. your your thoughtfulness and, and the conversation. And uh, yeah, as I said, keep keep on doing what you're All doing right. because the kids the kids really love okay. it. Okay. Well, thanks, John. Awesome. All right. Take care. Yeah, bye-bye. Thank you to Peter for putting in so much time and thought to speak with me. This podcast was created and hosted by me, John LeMay. Our associate producer is Emily Moeller. Our cover art is by Katie Cooper. And our theme music is You Need a Visa by Really From. Thank you so much for listening. And I hope you'll join me next Thursday for another episode featuring another teacher and another story. 